Welcome to the community-supported Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from the News Hour with Jim Lehrer, the Rachel Maddow Show, the New York Times, Ring of Fire, the Randy Rhodes Show, and the Young Turks. That new intelligence report on terrorism and Iraq. We begin with some background from NewsHour correspondent Spencer Michaels. The U.S. invasion and occupation of Iraq is fomenting Islamic radicalism around the world and is increasing the threat of terrorism. That's the assessment revealed in newspaper reports about a classified national intelligence estimate. Excerpts from the document said Iraq is serving as a training ground for would-be terrorists who are determined to fight against the West. The intelligence estimate said the threat has evolved, changing from a core of al-Qaeda fighters and related groups to a new and wide-ranging body of cells acting independently of Osama bin Laden. And radicals have spread their ideology with the help of the Internet, according to the intelligence analysis. After the crimes of the administrations of the U.S. and Britain and Iraq, we have chosen our future. It says they have made the war in Iraq an effective tool for recruiting more Islamic extremists willing to act. Details of the report which is a consensus view of the CIA and 15 other United States intelligence services, appeared in major newspapers over the weekend. Democrats were quick in responding to the news. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi said in a statement that the report is, quote, further proof that the war in Iraq is making it harder for America to fight and win the war on terror. But the director of national intelligence, John Negroponte, in an email sent to news organizations yesterday, said the published reports missed many of the nuances of the complete estimate. He said, while there is much that remains to be done in the war on terror, we have achieved some notable successes against the global jihadist threat. He continued, the conclusions of the intelligence community are designed to be comprehensive and viewing them through the narrow prism of a fraction of judgments distorts the broad framework they create. Today, Senator Pat Roberts, the Republican chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, said the administration would bolster its case by declassifying the full report. We get two additional views now of the intelligence report. The first is from former CIA official Paul Pillar, a 28-year veteran of the agency. He was National Intelligence Officer for the Near East and South Asia, and before that, Deputy Director of the CIA's Counterterrorism Center. There was an unnamed intelligence official uh, quoted in the Washington Post story that said what this actually did was state the obvious. What would, how would you characterize it? I would characterize it the same way, Jim. Um, one of the things noted uh, in, in your report was how the war has served as a sort of recruitment poster and recruiting device. Well, that's something that's plain for all to see. Uh, the videotapes and audio tapes from the likes of Zawahiri and bin Laden uh, and the other terrorist recruit- recruitment efforts uh, has made that quite clear. The other major thing, Iraq as a training ground, well, that's something that our military is dealing with every day, has been for the last three and a half years. Uh, we've seen uh, a progression of tactics during that time. 
uh, getting more skillful, whether it's the improvised explosive devices or anything else. So the evidence, if you will, both on the recruitment side and on the training ground side has been all too plain. So it didn't take uh, a, a bunch of intelligence experts to figure this out. Anybody could have figured it out, what you're saying. It, it, it certainly didn't take that. Now, no doubt, you know, behind this estimate, uh, there were many other batches of intelligence reporting that uh, lay behind whatever judgments the community came up with. But on those key aspects in which uh, the Iraq war has influenced the nature and degree of terrorist threat, that is stating the obvious. Uh, back to the substance, at least as, we, as far as we know it at this point, in what uh, Iraqi President Talibani told Ray Suarez in an interview we're mm -hmm. going to see in a moment. He said that uh, it, it, he doesn't agree with the, with the finding that it increases the terrorist threat on the United States because the terrorists are, on now, are all now focused on Iraq. Does that make sense to you? Uh, no, it doesn't. Well, it makes sense for the president of Iraq to say it because okay. the president of Iraq has to have Iraqi interests uppermost in mind. And evidently, President Talibani has concluded, as, many, as have many other Iraqi officials, that keeping the U.S. presence there longer rather than a shorter amount of time is in Iraqi interest. But his point about uh, all the terrorists uh, in the world are being attracted to Iraq, this is the, the flypaper theory, mm -hmm. and therefore they're going to stay away from the United States. The flaw in that is we don't have a fixed number of terrorists in the world. I think the more appropriate comeback to that was uh, what Secretary Rumsfeld raised the question in another leaked memo a year or so ago, as you may recall. I do. Um, and the question was, are we breeding more terrorists uh, faster than killing or incarcerating the ones we already have? That's really uh, the issue that's at stake here with the Iraq war. And if, if what's been in the press is correct, this intelligence, intelligence estimate appears to suggest that we are breeding more than we're catching. Is that right? It does, and that's my judgment as well. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Pillar, thank you very much. You're quite welcome. if you were paying attention to the big news and not the puff pieces on administration officials, uh, was the reporting yesterday by the New York Times about the National Intelligence Estimate. Here's Barbara Britt covering that for ABC News. The top-secret National Intelligence Estimate places direct blame on the Iraq War for making the overall terrorism problem worse, in part by fueling a new generation of Islamic radicalism. The New York Times reports both White House supporters and critics agree the overall terrorist threat has grown since the September 11th attacks. This classified report produced by the U.S. intelligence community is the first assessment of global terrorism since the Iraq War began. This is a big deal. The National Intelligence Estimate is the consensus view of all American intelligence agencies. There are 16 of them. They pool their raw spy data. They pool their analysis. They work for years on these kind of things, and they come up with, supposed to, with what is supposed to be an unvarnished national intelligence consensus, in this case on global terrorism. Their conclusion, 
The war in Iraq has spawned a new generation of Islamic radicals, and the overall terrorist threat to the U.S. has grown worse, not better, since 9-11. So much for that whole, we're safer business, huh? The reaction to the New York Times story ranged roughly from, duh, to, huh? Representing the duh contingent, politicians who were not exactly bowled over by the common sense conclusion that invading Iraq has turned the world against us and made Americans less safe, the duh contingent, uh, leading them, Jane Harmon. She's the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. I'm not going to comment on the document because it's a classified document, uh, but every intelligence analyst I speak to confirms that. In other words, duh, Jane Harmon speaking on CNN yesterday. Also in her contingent was Senator Arlen Fake Southern Accent Specter uh, speaking here on CNN as well. My feel is that uh, the war in Iraq has intensified uh, Islam fundamentalism and radicalism, but I think it is a bigger problem. Those were two politicians who were not so surprised by the National Intelligence Estimate findings, the duh contingent. Uh, One politician who was apparently surprised, and I'll put this one in the huh contingent, is uh, a man who I like to call Fristy Pants, Senate Majority Leader Senator Bill Frist. The American people, when when they read an article like that and the review of that, really come back and say, listen, just keep me safe. I just want to be safe in Nashville, Tennessee. I want to be safe in Memphis, New York City, Washington, D.C. That's what they want. That's what we want. We just want Bill Fristy Pants to keep us safe. We don't want, like, you know, information or truth or anything. Just keep us safe. And we'll believe that you understand all this big, complicated, important security stuff, Daddy Fristy Pants. I think the movement is growing. This, this movement against a radical Islamic extremism mm-hmm. is growing throughout the world. And right now that central front, as the president has said and so many others, is in Iraq. Ah, okay, maybe to a certain extent we do just want to be safe. But we also don't want guys like you in charge, Mr. Fristy Pants, if you completely miss the point. The central front in the war. Come on. This is important. Get it. Until five months ago, Bilal Hussein was part of a team of Associated Press photographers that had won a Pulitzer Prize for photos documenting the fighting and carnage in Iraq. Now he's a prisoner, having been seized by the U.S. government. You might ask, what's he been charged with? The answer? Nothing. There was a flurry of interest last week in the case of Maher Arar, a terror suspect who was shipped to Syria and tortured before it was learned that, alas, he was not a terrorist. Mr. Hussein got a little news coverage last week as well. People who still think there's a place in this world for fairness, justice, and due process are calling on the authorities to either charge him with a crime or release him. 
Mr. Hussein, an Iraqi hired by the AP, was taken into custody by U.S. forces in Ramadi last April 12. As in many similar cases, U.S. officials have been saying, without disclosing evidence to back up their comments, that he had improper ties to the insurgents. But neither the Americans nor the Iraqis have officially charged Mr. Hussein with anything. Scott Horton, a prominent New York lawyer called in by the AP to work on the case, said, The administration always starts with a broad-brush tarring of these individuals. You'll have officials saying, oh, they're bad dudes, they're evil. We have evidence we can show you that would demonstrate just how terrible these people are. Well, sometimes they do, but very frequently, alarmingly frequently, they don't. Mr. Hussein's case closely resembles that of Abdul Amir Hussein, a cameraman hired by CBS News, who was wounded while covering an attack on an American envoy in Mosul on April 5, 2005. He was shot by a U.S. soldier, a sniper, who was more than 200 yards away. Mr. Hussein was taken to a hospital. His camera and videotapes were seized. And despite his CBS press credentials, which were checked out and found to be legitimate, he was arrested by U.S. authorities and imprisoned. Much of his time over the course of the next year was spent in solitary confinement at the Abu Ghraib prison, where he was subjected to coercive interrogation and other indignities. For what? American officials were telling reporters, without offering any evidence, that Mr. Hussein had been collaborating with insurgents. He hadn't been. It turned out he was completely innocent. In fact, he was a kind of timid guy who was less than thrilled about having a job that required him to shoot combat footage. This is a spooky time in history. It's one thing for tyrannical regimes like the old Soviet Union and Communist China to bulldoze the very idea of human rights and human decency by engaging in such atrocities as detention without trial, torture, and other forms of state terror. It's something else completely when the United States, the greatest symbol of liberty that the world has ever known, begins to head down that hellish road. Abdul Amir Hussein ultimately was able to escape the clutches of the authorities because of the persistent legal effort pushed by CBS News on his behalf. Scott Horton was part of that effort. A year after he was taken into custody, Mr. Hussein, manacled and wearing an orange jumpsuit, was walked into a Baghdad courtroom for a trial. It was quickly determined that the case against him was ludicrous. There was absolutely no evidence against this guy, said Mr. Horton. Even the Attorney General of Iraq said there was no basis for proceeding against him. The case was dismissed. Several Iraqi journalists working for international news organizations have been held without charge by American and Iraqi forces. The absence of concrete evidence in so many of the cases is disturbing, to say the least. I'm absolutely convinced, said Mr. Horton, that the ton of bricks fell on these two guys, Bilal Hussein and Abdul Amir Hussein, because they were working as professional journalists. They were the eyes of the world, covering things that the Pentagon doesn't want people in America to see. And how you tried to set them free, they would not listen, they did not know how. Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry night Flaming flowers that brightly blaze Swirling
swirling clouds in violet haze Reflecting Vincent's eyes of china blue Colors changing hue Morning fields of amber gray Weathered faces lined in pain Are soothed beneath the artist's loving The Pamp Attack. General William Odom used to head up the National Security Agency under Ronald Reagan. From day one, he's been telling the Bush administration that a preemptive war in Iraq would create a massive breeding ground for Muslim terrorists. But Bush and all the war pimps who surround him wasted no time shouting down General Odom, and instead Bush chose to listen to the lunatic talk of all the same guys who've dressed up in Brooks Brothers suits all their lives and never been fitted for combat fatigues. So now the American public, in between the time they spend watching American Idol and Dancing with the Stars, well, they have to listen to small snippets of news that another monstrous lie by Cheney and Shrub has been unleashed on the American public. The new lie that Rip Van Winkle-like Americans have to digest is that we're not winning the war on terrorism by killing 130,000 innocent Iraqis, by causing the death of 130,000 innocent Iraqis. Instead, we're globally expanding the army of terrorism recruits almost geometrically. 16 different independent intelligence organizations created a report that's very clear about the fact that bumbling Bush has actually succeeded in promoting and fostering global terrorism instead of preventing it. It's not democracy the shrubs expanding in the Mideast. It's anti-American hatred that's gotten so bad that hundreds of isolated terrorist cells are springing up everywhere. But what's new is that those terrorist cells have no connection at all to al-Qaeda or bin Laden. They're young, pissed-off Islamic militants who've watched family members and friends die as innocent bystanders, young angry, young, angry jihadists who now have first-hand knowledge of rape, torture and murder committed in the name of democracy. Think about it. If we had a foreign occupying army living on our soil after initiating an unjustified preemptive war, and that occupying army was doing harm to our mothers, our fathers, brothers, sisters, and our children, well, I would think that that would even motivate draft-dodging cowards like Rush Limbaugh or maybe Bill O'Reilly to pick up a gun and maybe actually fight back. The truth is, with every report that surfaces about prisoner torture and abuse of innocence, new rage terrorists are becoming more enraged. This newest intelligence report makes it clear that this Republican Congress and their inept leader has given bin Laden exactly what he wanted. Our troops are involved in a war with no end in sight. Security in the Middle East has been destabilized. More and more countries are beginning to share their hatred of America. Iraq has displaced Afghanistan as the terrorist hotbed in the Middle East. But rather than fighting the terrorists where they originated, we're now facing them as a new pop-up problem in Iraq. In spite of the new reports, the administration continues to insist that Iraq is the key to the war on terror. It seems obvious, as usual, that they're unable to accept reality and admit that they were wrong, that they again have lied to the American public. But this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us. We're faced with an administration that seems grossly incapable of listening to anyone in the intelligence community. They refused warnings that bin Laden was determined to attack the U.S. They refused to accept intelligence debunking the WM 
AMD claims. They refused to listen to the agencies that claimed that Saddam had no ties to al-Qaeda. And they refused to listen to their own former generals and military officials who warned that Iraq was the wrong war at the wrong place at the wrong time. And because of their dull brain negligence and disregard for the truth, American lives have become even more of a target than they were before September 11th. We no longer enjoy the status of being a beacon of democracy with the support of the industrialized world behind us. Instead, we've become that crazy uncle that everyone hopes isn't coming to Thanksgiving dinner because they always creep us out just a little more every year. The Pap Attack on Air America Radio Network. Go to ringoffireradio.com or airamericaradio.com for more info. the Bush administration released, which does not help them. It's re- it does not help them. The uh, released portions that the Bush administration cherry-picked, they picked the very best stuff out of this national intelligence estimate, which, by the way, I told you, is from April. It's old. It's six months old. So there's a new one now. Uh-huh. There's a new one now. And Jane Harman, who's about as moderate a Democrat as you'll ever see, sits on the Intelligence Committee, uh, voted for this war, stuck by it, said the intelligence she was reading was just scary and needed immediate attention, and it indicated to her that Iraq posed a grave threat to the United States. Just come to find out that, you know, it was a lie, and that the caveats from the other intelligence agencies that the president could not manipulate were relegated to footnotes and or omitted from what Congress was being briefed on. Yeah, no. So that they had erroneous, bad information upon which to rely. However, she has said, release the the new national intelligence estimate, Mr. President. Release that and let's see if it's gotten any better since April. I'm uh, trying to, you know, uh, throwing you, you know, I'm throwing a bone. Trying to help you here. Hell, I voted for this war. I'm trying to help you. And the Bush administration responded today by telling Jane Harmon, who has defended the Bush administration, I can't tell you how many times, uh, that he will release the second national intelligence estimate right after the elections in November. Right after the elections. And then the president has the nerve to say, that whoever leaked this classified information, this classified document, in his administration, 
his intelligence agencies, with his appointees, people that don't keep their jobs if they don't want you to keep your job. And God knows they have demoted, they have denied promotion, they have retired early, they have put, put their fingers in the chests of generals telling them if you, the next person that comes into this office with any sort of a plan for post-war Iraq, I swear to God they're fired. So they don't have any problem, uh, you know. For, so somebody in his administration leaked it because they care about this country and see that terrorism has increased because of Iraq. This national intelligence estimate that was cherry-picked and, and released by the Bush administration does say the Iraq conflict has become the cause celeb for jihadists, breeding a deep resentment of U.S. involvement in the Muslim world and cultivating supporters for the global jihadist movement. Should jihadists leaving Iraq perceive themselves and be perceived to have failed, we judge fewer fighters will be inspired to carry on the fight. But four underlying factors are fueling the spread of the jihadist movement. One, entrenched grievances such as corruption, injustice, fear of Western domination, leading to anger, humiliation, and a sense of powerlessness. The Iraq Jihad, the slow pace of real and sustained economic, social, and political reforms. Pervasive anti-U.S. sentiment among most Muslims of which jihadists exploit. Although they say that a very small minority of Muslims have become jihadists. The jihadist's greatest vulnerability is that their ultimate political solution, an ultra-conservative interpretation of Sharia-based governance spanning the Muslim world, is unpopular with the vast majority of Muslims. Exposing the religious and political straitjacket that is implied by the jihadist propaganda would help divide them from the audience they seek to persuade. So the solution to terrorism seems to be political, economic, a sense of empowerment. The loss of key leaders particularly Osama bin Laden, Ayman al-Zawahiri, and al-Zarqawi, because he was still alive in April when this was written, in rapid succession would probably cause the group to fracture. Hmm. Mr. President... Hey, coming on that hunt for Osama bin Laden. So I, I don't know where he is. Nor you know, I, I just don't spend that much time on him. Damn, because that could make a difference, according to our sixteen intelligence agencies. Other affiliated Sunni extremist organizations, such as Jamaa Islamiyah, Ansar Al Sunnah, and several North African groups, unless countered are likely to expand their reach and become more capable of multiple and or mass casualty attacks outside their traditional areas of operation. Sunnis, baby, who are not religious, they're secular, they like secular governance. Sunnis have become radicalized in Iraq. We assess that such groups pose less of a danger to the homeland than does Al-Qaeda. 
but will pose varying degrees of threat to our allies and to U.S. interests abroad. The focus of their attacks is likely to ebb and flow between local regime targets and regional or even global ones. Sunnis are going to become global terrorists now. We judge that most jihadist groups, both well-known and newly formed, will use improvised explosive devices and suicide attacks focused primarily on soft targets to implement their asymmetric warfare strategy and that they will attempt to conduct sustained terrorist attacks in urban environments. Fighters with experience in Iraq are a potential source of leadership for jihadists pursuing these tactics. CBRN capabilities will continue to be sought by jihadist groups. CBRN. CBRN. Chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear. So sad now, no way out. The bottom of despair. Hormones raging, going crazy Is there another boy who cares? Deep water, pulling me down Deep water, afraid I'll drown I hear the gays go to San Francisco That's so far away from here School's a jail Home I failed, a life of pain and fear. Deep water pulling me down. Deep water, afraid I'll drown. Now the New York Times has broken a story yet again, and they all, the Washington Post and uh, LA Times, all ran it the same day. They're not getting any any cred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to give. Speaking of cred, we got to give credit where credit is due. A lot of times we are on the media for not challenging the administration enough, but you also give them, got to give them credit for breaking these very important stories that we otherwise would not know. And here's the story. New York Times, by the way, talked to 12 people who've seen the report. It's not 12. So it's accurate. Absolutely right, Ben. Uh, the first paragraph of the story is this. A stark assessment of terrorism trends by American intelligence agencies, and it's actually 16 intelligence agencies, all of their combined uh, reports, has found that the American invasion and occupation of Iraq has helped spawn a new generation of Islamic radicalism and that the overall terrorist threat has grown since the September 11th attacks. It is titled, The Trends, this report is, Trends in Global Terrorism, Implications for the United States. It's a and good... it asserts that Islamic radicalism, rather than being in retreat, has spread across the globe. Trends in Global Terrorism, Implications for the United States. You've got to give them this. It's a good title. <laughs> yeah, it's solid. Right. It's gonna, they're going to sell some NIEs. <laughs> and an opening section of the report uh, entitled Indicators of the Spread of the Global Jihadist Movement cites the Iraq War as a reason for the diffusion of jihad ideology. The report says, quote, that the Iraq War has made the overall terrorism problem worse. This is a damning blow against the Bush administration. Oh, we're keeping you safe. Iraq's part of the war on terrorism. It's making the war better. No. 
16 national intelligence agencies have gotten together, put together a report, and they say Iraq has made the war on terrorism worse. It has made the fight against terrorism harder, and it has grown the global jihad rather than rein it in. It has been a disaster of epic proportions. A, uh, a counterterrorism official t uh, telling the Washington Post, a really big hole in the U.S. strategy is that we focus on the terrorists and very little on how they are created. If you looked at all the resources of the United States government, we spend 85-90% on current terrorists, not on how people are radicalized. And that whole NIE, which is just 30 pages, by the way, it was released in April. So the administration has known about this since April while trotting out speech after speech after speech from, from both President Bush and Vice President Cheney and Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld and Secretary of State Rice, all of them saying the same things, Jack and Jill. We're winning the war on terror. We're safer. We've protected you. When the report says, as Jenk pointed out, exactly uh, the opposite, one intelligence official told the Washington Post, it's a very candid assessment. It's stating the obvious. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing is, I mean, let's get more direct about it. It's a uh, direct lie. that they, they came out, Ben's 100% right, uh, since the April, and they said the Iraq war is making us safer. They've said it a hundred times when they knew that their, all their intelligence agencies had already told them, no, the Iraq war has made us less safe, has created more terrorists. Bill Frist went on the uh, talk shows this Sunday, Senate mm -hmm. uh, Majority Leader Bill Frist, uh, and said uh, he trotted out the same old line. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, hear, I, I know what the estimate said, but it's important that we fight them over there so we don't fight them over here. Right. I mean, you have to realize that there has been no attack on U.S. soil since we've gone over there. Bill Frist needs an... And that is a fact that cannot be misproven. Jill, you're right. Right, but Bill Frist needs a um, he needs an updated talking point. <laughs> Bill Frist is like looking at a six month old talking point. God, it frustrates me so much. I mean, the nerve of these guys. And look, I think Stephanopoulos did a great job of shredding Frist uh, on this week, where he was appearing on ABC. That being said, when they bring out that talking point, will for the love of God, some reporters say, "What are you talking about? Are you saying that the Sadr's militia or the Badr Brigade?" or that the Sunni insurgents in Iraq, any of those people fighting a sectarian war, would come over to Cleveland? Uh, because Frist said throughout that interview, I watched the whole thing, he said they could be coming to Los Angeles, they could be coming to Nashville or Memphis or New York. I wanted Stephanopoulos to stop him and say, really? The Bader Brigade is coming to Memphis? Yeah. Why? Why would they? They're fighting the Sunni insurgents for uh, control over some territory in Iraq. Why? They have nothing to do with Al-Qaeda. Why would they come over to Nashville? Why are you guys putting together a concert for Shiites? No, but here's what would make them come to Nashville. The fact that we're in Iraq and the fact that we have, uh, in essence, as the NIE, the National Intelligence Estimate, points out, we have sent a message to the Islamic world, true or not. That we are there to that we are there to occupy them, mm -hmm. that we are there to stay, that we are there to take their oil, and we are there to have bases. So that is what would make uh, radical fundamentalists want to come to Cleveland, but none of those radical fundamentalists will, oddly enough, be from the Badr Brigade or the Sunni insurgents. But Ben, they're very, very simple-minded people, and they're distracted right now. Yeah, they will not come over here now. <laughs> Oh, the reason I keep insisting that uh, there was a relationship between Iraq and Saddam and Al-Qaeda because there was a relationship. Ah, I see. Uh, and he, here's another thing. When was this, that what one? This, that, what's, I think September of 04. That's right. When this report came out, basically it said, when we attack them over there, 
there will be a lot more of them to attack us over here. That's exactly what it says. By the way, we mentioned it came out in April. Together with our coalition partners, Bush said in an address earlier this month, September, to the military officers of of America, we've removed terrorist sanctuaries, disrupted their finances, killed and attacked key operatives, broken up terrorist cells in America and other nations, and stopped new attacks before they're carried out. We're on the offense against the terrorists on every battlefront and will accept nothing less than complete victory. (laughs) <laughs> what a clown. What a joker. He probably, of course, in, in George Bush's defense, there's some chance he hasn't read the NI. <laughs> well, there's an excellent chance he hasn't read it. Um, before we get b- back to Iraq and why the idea of complete victory is absolutely laughable, I do want to say Mitch McConnell, of course, took it over the top. Yeah, He's Mitch, a from senator from uh, Kentucky. Republican senator from Kentucky. He tried out the same old line of, well, they'll attack us over here if we don't attack them uh, over there in, I guess, Najaf and Fallujah. Um But then he said, quote, attacks here at home stopped when we started fighting al-Qaeda where they live. Now, you see, that's nothing but a 100 percent lie because we've already everybody has already proven and Bush has already admitted that al-Qaeda was not in Iraq when we went to Iraq. So to say that attacks here at home stopped when we started fighting al-Qaeda where they live is an indisputable lie. It is an indisputable lie, but I think you actually, Jenk, got one thing slightly wrong there. Is the one thing the Bush administration is still saying is that al-Qaeda was in Iraq. That's, therefore, that's the relationship. Right. We went through that whole Tony Snow nonsense. They leave out the part about Iraq being an enemy of Saddam right. and a part a, 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 existing in northern Iraq and uh, a part of the country that Saddam did not control while they fought it. No, Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, it occurs to you that, I mean, either he is intentionally deceiving the American people or he's done. And he doesn't even, he doesn't, he thinks we, he's one of those people who thinks Saddam did have something to do with 9-11. It's entirely possible. Now, Mitch McConnell is loathsome. I don't think he's dumb. My sense of McConnell is that he's willing to tell any lie to anybody to make sure that Republicans win. And he has no morals, no conscience whatsoever. I'm sure if you confronted him, you know, with that information, too, he would make the argument that we are in Afghanistan. I'd like to see, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to see Bill Clinton get in Mitch McConnell's face. You know, it's just, it's, it's our presence in the Middle East that right. has kept Because um, it's all the same. the same. Right. L- let me, uh, if I could, uh, Jank and Joe, bring you a little uh, something from uh, John Negroponte, who's our, our intelligence czar. Um, and uh, he gave a speech in February at Georgetown University, which I, the, they, run, they ran this quote here in the Washington Post, and I, I found it uh, remarkably telling from, again, uh, the head of the, 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 our intelligence czar, the guy who put together this report. He's in charge of, he's the director of national intelligence, uh, uh, the director of all of these 16 agencies, including the CIA. Uh, and, in fact, Michael Hayden, now the head of the CIA, back in, in uh, was uh, Negroponte's deputy. Uh, he, uh, Negroponte said, my colleagues and I, in a speech at Georgetown, said, my colleagues and I still view the global jihadist terrorist movement, which emerged from the Afghan-Soviet conflict in the 1980s, but is today inspired and led by al-Qaeda, as the preeminent threat to our citizens, homeland interests, and friends. Uh, to John Negroponte, I say, you're correct. And to him, I would also say, then why did you invade Iraq, and why are you still part of an administration that claims they are tied together and And claims that Iraq uh, is a critical front in the war on terror? Well, you know, they would say uh, in argument back to you, Ben, that, hey, listen, we didn't know before we went into Iraq. Before we went into Iraq, we thought, hey, that's where the terrorists are. I mean, they're all Arabs, right? So we just assumed. I mean, (laughs) we had bad intelligence. Now, here's what's interesting. In the New York Times piece, they also 
uh, go back to a National Intelligence Council report two months before the Iraq invasion, January of 2003. And that report stated that the approaching war, the Iraq war, had the potential to increase support for political Islam worldwide and could increase support from some terrorist objectives. So, bad intelligence, bad intelligence. They warned him. They said, hey, yeah. listen, not only are the, uh, is al-Qaeda not there, or the small group that is there that's linked to al-Qaeda is fighting Saddam Hussein, but on top of that, if you go into Iraq, you will increase worldwide terrorism and Islamic fundamentalism. And Bush, two months before the election, took that, threw it in the garbage, yeah, and now, four years, nearly four years later, pretends to be surprised. Even before the invasion, the National Intelligence Committee warned in, Jan in January of '03 in the NIE that Cenk was just talking about, that the aftermath of a change in government in Iraq could include long-term internal conflict. Really? Oh, so there might be a civil war. <laughs> and Bush, again, as Cenk said, saw it, crumpled it up, put in the shredder, because, you know, the shredder's cool. <laughs> Shreds. So at the moment, I'm a delivery driver, and I hate my job. I've, I've hated it for um, nearly as long as I've had it. And um, so for the past year or so, I've been desperately trying to extricate myself from that position, uh, which seems like it would be easy, you know, two-week notice, that whole thing. But... Um, my particular situation doesn't work that way. So for a long time, I've been trying to quit this job. And just this week, I finally, uh, I, fi I started training my replacement, which is huge news, but I'm not allowed to get excited about it because uh, every time I come close to being able to quit and train my replacement, uh, something falls through and I end up getting stuck back with the job again. So so I'm not allowed to be excited, but the fact is I'm training this new guy. So we're driving around in the truck all day, you know, eight hours a day or whatever. And, um, you know, for, so for the first, um, first couple of days, we just listen to music because, you know, it's non-abrasive, you know, we can all get along. We don't have to, you know, we're, we're talking, I'm training him, that sort of thing. So like, so there's lots of conversation, not really room for, you know, to listen to like a talk show or a podcast. So, so then finally today, I'm thinking, you know, he's doing, he's doing well. He doesn't need my help very much. He's kind of doing his thing. He's, he's driving, he's working. I'm kind of sitting here. I'm not really doing anything. So I, I decide today's the day I'm putting on some podcasts. So I, you know, I start out, you know, gentle, nonpartisan comedy that sort of thing you know if anything can screw up a business deal it's politics you know just because i don't know i don't know where he's coming from he doesn't know where i'm i'm coming from so you just never know but so i kind of ease my way in and about halfway through the day i turn on this american life which is a fantastic show and you know it's not a political show and they mostly don't talk about politics, but sometimes it gets thrown in. And so this one particular show, they start talking about John Kerry. And they're making fun of him because he looks like a zombie and talks like one too, essentially. So this gets kind of a chuckle out of, out of my trainee. And I pounce immediately. And I say, oh, are, are you interested in, in, in politics at all? 
And he says, now, you know, he, he's a young guy, he's like 25. And he says, now, you know, whatever, I don't care. They can argue about whatever it is they're going to argue about. I'm just trying to lead my life. That's what he says regarding politics. And so I say, that's, uh, you know, I understand that. that. That's perfectly understandable. Think about it this way. Politics has become a dirty word, just like politician has become a dirty word. And, you know, I mean, rightfully so. Everyone says politicians are, you know, they're all crooks. And the reason they say that is because they are often. So, so politics has gotten this bad rap because of, of that. But think about politics this way. Politics are the system by which we decide as a group the policies by which we choose to live our lives as a society. And he perked up. I mean, I'm not saying like we had a conversation about it. I'm saying he immediately said, oh, damn. I, I, I immediately feel like an idiot for what I just said. Now that you put it that way, that makes so much sense. And I said, I was, well, that was easy. And I said, well, you know, if you're interested, I just happen to have another show that we could listen to. It's all about politics, but get this, you know, it's not like this long drawn out show where they have these huge long discussions about politics. It's kind of fast paced. You know, they, they clip out like all the best segments of, you know, political talk radio. And, you know, it's, it's kind of entertaining, you know, they're funny and, you know, like it, it, it should, uh, it should hold your attention pretty well. You know, it, it, it doesn't get too, uh, too droll. I didn't say droll, but, um, so, you know, if you're interested, I can put that on. And he said, well, you know, oh, whatever, you know, whatever you like, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. And so I go back into the archives and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we need an introductory to politics, basically. And, you know, it's got to be kind of light. It's got to be, you know, it can't be too inside, inside baseball, uh, you know, talk where if you don't know what they're talking about already, then you don't know what, what they're talking about. You have no idea. You're totally lost. And I thought, well, I'll just go back to the classics. You know, I know what my favorite is. I mean, there have been other greats, but as far as just kind of a, a real, you know, not too deep, not too dense, light, funny, especially funny podcast, or, you know, episode, was uh, fill in incredibly clever title about the media here. And um, you can find that episode as well in the archives of this show. And so I pull that up. And I play it, and not such a great reaction. You know, I'm, I'm listening along, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe if you don't know about the media already, then this show all about the media isn't really going to grab your attention. So I'm a little nervous. I'm thinking, uh, maybe this isn't going over so well. So we listen to the whole show, get to the end of the, end of the show, and I say, so what do you think? You know, do you have any, any thoughts? Did you like it? And he says, yeah, no, no, I didn't. Not really. You know, I mean, I'm just being honest. And, uh, 
you know, I just, I couldn't really follow it. I tried to get into it. It just, it wasn't really doing it for me. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I understand. You know, it's kind of, it's one of those things, like, if you don't know, kind of maybe if you don't know what they're talking about, then it's kind of hard to, hard to follow along. So, that was a bummer. I, I didn't bother to tell them that I was the one who produced it. But, but it made me think, you know, trying to introduce new people into politics you know there's there's a good way and a bad way to do it and i haven't really ever attempted to introduce anybody into politics before it just kind of the situation doesn't come up and and so i'm wondering what what are the good topics to use and what are the bad topics but how do you figure that out you know is there an episode of the best of the left that I could have pulled up that would have gotten his attention looking back on it now I think uh, yeah there was um, you know when I asked him if he was interested in politics and he said no he asked me you know what what side was I on was I a Democrat or a Republican and uh, you know so I told him and, and he said oh so so what is it like one side's for the rich and one side's for the poor right you know, like, one side's always trying to, like, they're all rich, and they only want rich people to, re to be rich, and the other side is, like, poor, and they kind of fight for poor people because they want poor people to be rich. And I thought, huh, yeah, and, like, kinda. <laughs> you know, for someone who's not interested in politics, you kind of pulled that out of nowhere. Like, I, I, you know, it made me think, like, uh, you know, where wonder where you got that talking point. That's pretty interesting. But... And then, you know, just a minute later, you know, I, I asked, um, you know, just continuing to talk about the parties, he said, oh, so you, you mean like, you know, after I kind of like pulled the little string on, on the light bulb over his head by talking about uh, how politics is how we run the policies of our lives. And he said, oh, so like, if we allow the Republicans to stay in power, and, you know, I grow up, you know, like maybe I'll just be screwed, you know, because I don't have a lot of money. So I'll get screwed over because they're not going to help me out. And I was like, yeah, like that's exactly it. So, you know, and so I said, you know, there's an old saying, if you want to live like a Republican, you better vote like a Democrat. And, you know, that resonated with him. And... So I made the immediate mistake of pulling up a show about the media because I liked it. You know, I thought it was funny. I think it's full of clever uh, tidbits and whatnot. But I didn't, I didn't go to him where he lives. You know, if you want to pique people's interest, you gotta, you gotta meet them where they are. Because, you know, I was trying to entice his interest. You know, he, he was just blindsided by the whole conversation. He didn't bring it up. And so, I mean, clearly, his connection to politics, just as, as it is, just kind of the, the one tenuous thread of interest that he has, is about, I mean, kind of kind of maybe the economic side, but mostly his own pocketbook. That's where he's coming from. So anyways, I learned a lesson today. And, you know, I'm not I'm not really trying to teach you a lesson other than you know the old teacher style of just stay one chapter ahead of the class um, and, and you can make it through but I'm just letting you know like I kind of learned a lesson today 
that, uh, you know, if you want to bring people into the political discussion, you got to figure out what they care about and then talk to them about that instead of, you know, the, the, the issues that you think are important to push those on them. And then, because, you know, if you're going to get someone involved with politics and you have, you have to convince them first to care about the issues, then get involved in politics, that's much harder than just taking the issue they already care about and getting them involved that way. So take that for what it's worth. Um, maybe I was the last person to figure that out because looking back on it, it seems like kind of an obvious point. Speaking of favorite episodes, if you missed the super extended torture spectacular that was posted earlier this week, man, uh, you got to go back and listen to it. You know, normally when there's a big important episode coming up that I think that everybody should should listen to, I'll mention it ahead of time because I know that not everybody listens to every show. But uh, that one kind of snuck up on me. You know, I didn't. You know, I knew the I knew the topic was important, but I didn't really realize how much information I had about it. And so it kind of it kind of snuck up on me as far as uh, how important that episode was. So I um, I would go back and check that out. That was definitely um, it may have dethroned the history lesson episode as the most important episode uh, of the best of the left. Um, if you're not familiar with the history lesson episode, it talks all about Dick Cheney's real motives and, and how far back his history goes. You should check that one out as well. It's titled History Lesson, if, if that wasn't obvious. And finally, as long as I'm uh, promoting the hell out of myself, don't miss Monday's episode. It's all about elections, and we have a very special treat for you uh, with a very special permission that uh, I'm not going to talk about at all, but uh, but don't miss that. It's it's about uh, elections and voting and upcoming elections, and then uh, a special note about elections. Just just as kind of a special little treat for you guys, and uh, and I think you'll like it. So stick around for that. Check out bestofleftpodcast.com. Join us over at the Best of the Left community. You can find information and links to that through. The website or you can link directly to it at botlcommunity.com and finally just a last reminder voting at podcast alley is extremely important to help spread the word about the show uh, i absolutely appreciate all of the kind comments and and votes of course that have been coming through podcast alley this month so keep that up please we're we're staying uh, at a respectable level in the rankings there, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that some people are finding us through that. So, uh, thanks for all the help, and um, I'll be right back here next week, and we'll have fun again, as always. Have a good one, everybody. Fine, fine,